You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning. My name is Dean, pastor here at City Church. We're going through the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 19, the second half today. Back in January, we started in chapter 1, verse 1. We're just working our way through. And we're going to see here before I jump in is that people are coming to faith in Jesus and the city of Ephesus. And as a result, the city is changing. That's what happens when the gospel goes forward. Lives change, and as a result, cities change. Imagine if Tallahassee would be different because of lives being changed in our community for the good news of the gospel. You don't have to imagine it. It actually happens. It happens regularly. But why can't we see it on a larger scale where the whole entire city is impacted? Thank you for coming at 8.30 this morning. We say regularly, if you come at 10 o'clock, you love the church. You come at 8.30, you love Jesus. So good to have the Jesus-loving people here. Uh, As a pastor, noon kickoffs are a beautiful thing. Uh, They're bad maybe for parties. They're bad for uh, social time, but they're great for pastors. They're great for the church. So it's good to be here. Uh, Let's pray together. We'll jump in to Acts chapter 19, a really great passage of Scripture I'm excited to talk about this morning. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful that you love us. We're grateful for the local church that you are building. As you speak, sit me this morning, be with all the churches in Tallahassee as they gather today, keep the enemy out of this place, keep the enemy out of our community, and allow what we see happen here in Acts chapter 19 about idols being torn down and a city being changed because of your good news going forward, be the reality in Tallahassee. As you be with those who are hurting today in our church, those who have suffered loss, those that are going through pain right now, anxiety, mental health issues, if it's loneliness, or lift up those things are going really well right now. Let them not trust in themselves. Let them not trust in their positive circumstances. Let them realize that every gift is from you. So for those that things aren't going well, things that are in the middle, those that have things going really well, we all have one thing in common, a dependence upon your grace and your love and your mercy and the need to trust in your sovereignty. Let us be people who are dependent people upon our great God. We're thankful you're not a distant God. You're a personal God who knows us by name, who knows the number of hairs on our head, who knitted us together in our mother's womb, that we matter to you. How amazing is that? That our lives matter to the creator of the universe. Let us never lose sight. Let us never take for granted how incredible it is to be loved by you. We proclaim that today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 23, about that time, as in the word spreading in Ephesus, lives are being changed, there was a major disturbance about the way. The way means Christianity, and things are happening. There's tension, there's conflict, there's disturbances taking place. I would love in Tallahassee for folks to say, you know what, there's some disturbance going on about the way. It's changing things. And we tell, and then Luke tells us, as the author of Acts, exactly what was happening, what the details were. For a person named Demetrius, a silversmith, what was his job as a silversmith? He made silver shrines of Artemis, who was the great god of that city, provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen. He was an idol maker, funding idol worship, and it brought big money for a lot of people. When he had assembled them, as well as the workers engaged in this type of business, he said, men, you know that our prosperity is derived from this business, This is how we make the big bucks. Idol worship, it fuels what we do. Like sin is the money. It's what brings brings home the bacon. It's what brings the big bucks. He says, you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, in our city, but in almost all of Asia, it's spreading all over the place. This man, Paul, who's part of the way, who's preaching the good news, who's talking about this Jesus that he rose from the grave, he is persuaded by nerve of him proselytized, as they call it, and misled 
a considerable number of people. And what did he say? Drum roll. The nerve of this guy. Gods made by hand are not gods. That's what he's saying. He's not saying all roads lead to the same place. He's not saying coexist. He's not saying do what's best for you and you do what's right for you and no one say a word, nobody judge anybody. Let's just live in peace together. What he's saying is the gods that you are worshiping are not gods. What a statement he's making. And it's causing a disturbance. We're not told he's being mean. We're not told he's being cruel. We're not even told he's being condescending. We're not told he's being harsh. He's simply saying, you are worshiping something that is not worthy of your worship because it is not a God. But what's really happening here? There's always the reason behind the reason. And it's not as much theological for Demetrius. It's economic. There's a deeper issue at stake here. It's affecting his pocketbook. And we don't like when stuff messes with our lives, especially our money. Jesus said our money and our hearts are linked together. You want to see somebody come unglued, mess with their money. He said this in verse 27, not only do we run a risk that our business may be discredited, but also, so it's theological here, that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be despised, and her magnificence come to the verge of ruin, the very one all of Asia and the world worship. So we see here is not a sermon from Paul. Usually throughout Acts, at this point, we've seen sermons in the synagogue over and over again, him proclaiming the name of Jesus, the need for Jews and Gentiles with their faith in Jesus Christ, that he is the one, the promised Messiah, who died for their sins, who rose from the grave, trust in Jesus. But here we don't see a sermon, but a recording by Luke of the response to Christianity happening in Ephesus, of the good news going forward, of the church thriving in that city, and people coming to faith in Christ, and we see what happens to your worship personally, and as a result to a city when people's lives are actually changed by Jesus. See, the truth about Jesus Christ, that he really is Lord of all, that he is the resurrected king, that there is one true God and no other gods, this critiques our way of life. It critiqued the individual way of life in our hearts and also in Ephesus, and it does the same in Tallahassee. Because understanding the good news, trusting in Christ, it's not just an intellectual agreement. It's not just a, it's not like some kind of club you become a part of, a hobby you assume, a good luck charm you add. It changes lives. It gives us new hearts. It turns us from our old life called repentance to a new life. And it's easy to believe and claim Christianity, but how often does that Christianity never actually confront our idols, our worship, what's actually going on in our hearts? In Ephesus, the idols for them were pretty simple. Shrines, temples, and the actual images of the gods. They were physical idols. There's a deeper idol in their heart, and it was economic. So Paul here is preaching and addressing two things. The idols of the heart, if you're taking notes. Number one, the idols of the heart. And two, the idols of the culture. The gospel addresses both. The idols of the heart and the idols of the culture. And in context specifically, their idols of their hearts, such as Demetrius and those around him, the businessmen, was money. They didn't want the gospel going forward because it was going to change things. It was going to hurt their sin-fueling funding business. It's idolatry. The New City Catechism defines idolatry this way. The idolatry is trusting in created things. It's not bowing down to statues like we think of often. It's not reserved for ancient people. 
It's trusting in created things rather than the creator. There's a switch, there's a reversal, there's an exchange that takes place. God, I don't want to worship you. I want to worship your stuff, your things instead. But what are we trusting them for? Basically, our salvation, our hope, and happiness, and significance. I have to have this for meaning in my life, and security. As in, I need to go around God for all the things I'm looking for, rather than right to him. Who's supposed to provide for us our hope, our happiness, our significance, our ultimate security? It's the Lord our God. What do we do? What do I do personally, regularly? God, I know that, I believe that, but no thanks. I need this instead. See, Demetrius made shrines for Artemis. So he was an idol worshiper and also an idol maker. That's what false worship does to us. It makes us fools. Imagine going to Home Depot or Lowe's. I've never been before. I'm very indoorsy, so tell me about it sometime. I'm one of those guys that calls people. Imagine going to Home Depot or Lowe's. I have like zero shame in that, as you can tell. When we first got, when we first got married, I think we made like a combined, like I was in seminary, my wife was working at a hotel, and I think our tax return was like a combined like $18,000 for the year. And I sat her down and was like, hey, I need to tell you something. Um, no matter where we are in our lives financially ever, um, we're going to have a lawn man. I, I just need to tell you that. So if we need to like cut out savings, retirement, uh, food, uh, you know, like... I, I just need to tell you that. And she was like, who have I married? You know, kind of thing. But well, we married 20 years in December, and I still haven't cut the lawns. There we go. Okay, so, so there we go. Praise the Lord. Imagine going to Lowe's or Home Depot, and you go and you buy wood, and you buy whatever else you buy at Home Depot. And then you go and borrow someone's tools that I don't have any. And then you build, actually, I'd have somebody build. You build a statue yourself. Like, you built it yourself. Like, the materials you paid for, you put the hard work in, maybe even you like hit your thumb by accident while you were hammering, I think that happens, and then you got down on your knees and you worshipped it. It makes zero sense. You made the thing. Like you are the creator of the thing, like earthly speaking. And then you're going to worship it? That's what Demetrius is doing. He's making the shrines. And then he's making the silver for the shrines. Some people think that he's actually selling like little souvenir Artemises to worship. Like little souvenir ones. Kind of like Taylor Swift or something, I guess. I'm not really sure. And then he was worshiping it. And it's easy to make fun of him, but idol worship makes us fools. It makes us lose our senses. It makes us irrational. It makes us worship things, as Paul said, that aren't actually God's. Artemis was known as the queen of heaven, even called Lord and Savior. This idol had power. This idol had authority from heaven in the legend. She was actually known as the virgin daughter of Zeus. And the temple to Artemis was considered on the list of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Those of you that study those kind of things, Artemis' temple was in the seven wonders. So they're going after the big stuff. I mean, Paul's going head on to like the big worship of the day. Tim Keller says he's going into the classroom at Harvard. He's going into the Capitol building. And he's proclaiming these gods are not gods. But he's not doing small potatoes here. He's going into the elite place and proclaiming that their worship is false. So we see the challenges that Christians face. We're going to see a riot in just a minute. But also, undeniably, the success of the message getting out. Things are changing, and people are noticing. It's affecting and changing the city. 
And what's the message? Verse 26. This man, Paul, is persuaded and misled. This accusation here. A considerable number of people by saying that gods that are made by hands are not gods. And Paul's like, guilty. And you know what else? You know it. Demetrius, you know it. You know that's not a god. You went to Home Depot and built it yourself. And you're selling them in the marketplace. You know it's not a god, but you're never going to actually admit that because it's going to affect your way of life. It's going to change things. It's going to make things different. For us, it might mean we've got to make some changes in our family. So we've got to have some hard conversations. Like, we know that these gods we're worshiping are not gods, but still somehow, functionally, they have enormous power over us. Idols can control me. I don't know about you. We can't coexist. The worship of God and the worship of an idol, they can't coexist together. The metaphor the Bible uses, the understanding of that, is a spiritual adultery. That God, I'm not going to be faithful to you, the one who is always faithful to me. I'm going to go and basically cheat on you, for lack of a better way to put it, and worship other gods instead. The Old Testament story of Hosea is a great illustration, a great metaphor, a great story of Hosea being the faithful husband whose spouse is unfaithful to him over and over and over again but he continues to receive her and bring her back because of his unfailing love for her. There's good news for us who are idol worshipers, and that is that our God never leaves us. We're the ones who have moved. We're the ones who have been unfaithful. We're the ones who have said, God, no thanks. I think there's more to be gained by disobeying you than there is to be gained by obeying you, yet he's still with us every step of the way and receives the unfaithful bride home over and over again. Our response to that should not be feeling guilty. You know, there is remorse, and that's a good thing. Not feeling condemned, but saying, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Now, I want to live for you. I don't want to settle for gods that aren't gods, because they don't love me back. They demand and demand and demand. The Ten Commandments were given in Exodus. He says, here's who I am. I am the Lord your God. Here's what I've done. I've taken you out of Egypt. So here's what I'm asking and not asking, requiring of you. And what's the first commandment out of the gate? Order matters. Order always matters in the Bible. The first commandment, they've come out of slavery, God's freed his people, he's declared to them who he is and what he's done, and he says, have no other gods before me. No Artemis. No idols. It's the first commandment. Then you have commandments two through ten. Martin Luther said that he, doesn't, he didn't think it was an accident that the idolatry commandment is first because everything else flows from that. Adultery is really an idol issue. Stealing is an idol issue. Not honoring your father and mother is an idol issue based on pride. Tim Keller says this, that every individual life, every, every community, in every culture that is not based on the glory and the grace of God, as it's not living out the first commandment, is going to be based on some created thing in God's place. Even things that can be good things and allowed things and even wonderful things, but they go in the place of God, that's when Artemis' temple is built. Everyone, Keller concludes, every community and every culture looks to something to save it or rescue it. 
Adam and Eve in the garden, they're with God. God's talking to them. Everything's perfect. Think about a place there's no sin, there's no death, there's no abuse. I mean, there's no conflict. It's, it's heaven, really, on earth. Everything is perfect. It wasn't good enough for them. They knew God, had a relationship with him, but they said, you know what? I need that fruit over there because God's holding out on me. Like, I need it to rescue me from whatever it is I'm dealing with. God's holding out on me. I have to have that fruit. I can't live without that fruit. I'm going to risk everything for that fruit. That's what idolatry does to us. It makes us irrational. It makes us do things we know are wrong. It makes us do things a week later we're going, how did this happen? And the issue is they can control us if we're not regularly infusing gospel truth into our hearts and to our minds. I mean, think about this. The world's coming at us 24-7 with its messaging, and we think it's okay to go to church once a month? I'm not judging. I'm looking out for you. Like, we need this. Like, we need to hear the good news. And look what happened. Verse 28. When they had heard this, as what was taking place in the city, that Artemis was being discredited, that they were losing idol manufacturing business. What happened? They were filled with rage. And they began to cry out. They doubled down, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion. And they rushed all together into the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who are Paul's traveling companions, believers here, who are joining Paul in the mission, building the church city to city, and although Paul wanted to go in before the people and, I guess, debate or declare, the disciples did not let him. They're like, dude, you're going to get mauled. We have more mission to do. We have more cities to go to. Even some of the provincial officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent word to him, pleading with him not to venture into the amphitheater. It's bad there. You've messed with their idols, and they are going bananas. Some were shouting one thing, and some another. Because the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Nothing's new under the sun, is it? How many folks riot and protest say they don't even know why they're doing it? That mob mentality. Going to join it, going to go after the man. They don't even know why they were doing it. But idols do that for us. Some Jews in the crowd gave instructions to Alexander. After they pushed him to the front, motioning with his hand, Alexander wanted to make his defense to the people. When they recognized that he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Jews who believed in one God, not multiple gods, a tenet of Judaism. And what's their declaration? It's their act of worship. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. He's the one who is great. But notice what happens here. The gospel goes forward, things change, and the people riot. They're angry. It really stings when you get poked in the idols, doesn't it? It tingles all the way it feels painful when you get poked in the idols. So what do we do when that happens? Usually one of two things. Either you double down and get really defensive. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Riot, war, fight, cancel. Or, we see this a lot today, we see both today, we adjust what we believe, we tweak it, and or what the Bible says to accommodate our idols. We see it all the time today. Either we double down and get defensive, cancel culture, go to war, or we adjust the scriptures and what we believe to make sure it's in sync with our worship 
so we can still do it and feel great about ourselves. And notice when I talk, I use the word we. Because I deal with the same stuff and the same worship issues, and they say if you preach from your weaknesses, you never run out of materials. That's my strategy. I think the main reason why, besides the condition of our hearts, this side of heaven being fleshly, that we're still drawn to idols is that idols have become so normal. And I say become normal, they're actually normal then too. In the Old Testament especially, the only people who did not do the religion of multiple gods, the only people who said there's one true God, and they still forgot that all the time, they were the Israelites. Like in the ancient Near East, everyone had multiple gods. And when God's people would go astray and depart from him and, and go off basically their, to their own way, it was being influenced by the surrounding nations who worshipped multiple gods. It's so normal. We don't even realize after a while they're idols. It just becomes a way of life. For everyone else at that time, they had gods with different names and in different places. And today it's often done the same way. It's just not statues built by human hands. Back then and today, it's whatever works, whatever's convenient, whatever makes us happy, whatever everyone else is doing so your kids have opportunities I never had, the famous line today. We give it our full allegiance, and we give it our full worship. Kevin DeYoung writes this, the whole system of idolatry, guaranteed selfish, easy, convenient, normal, logical, pleasing, indulgent, and erotic. When we look at it that way, the allure of idolatry does not seem far removed from us. It is convenient. It's a quick fix, a quick feeling. It even helps sometimes in an earthly sense you progress and go forward. Keep up. Look a certain way, appear a certain way. So it's easy, and it's, uh, that's why I don't want to be condemning here. One, because in Christ we're not condemned because Jesus was condemned in our place. We made an exchange and said, God, I don't want to worship you. I want to worship your stuff instead. And God said, well, here's how much I love you. I'm going to make an exchange. Your sin for my righteousness. The great exchange. But I'm here to say this is a theme throughout the Bible. At the end of 1 John, five chapters, he covers all this ground. Last thing he says as he's signing off, he's saying, dear children, keep yourself from idols. It's the last thing he says. Because he knows that's going to be what keeps us from worshiping the one true God. That's what's going to lead us to sin. It's always a deeper issue. So it's easy to see how we can make idols out of everything, from bank accounts to political candidates to academics to sports and entertainment to social media to food to sex. So what God was telling Israel was not easy for them to hear, nor is it easy for us. We must fight the good fight of our faith in our hearts and go to war with idolatry every single day. Why? Because they're gods that are not actually gods. No matter how common they are, no matter how even in the moment fulfilling they may seem, no matter how much temporary happiness they can bring us, no matter how attractive they look. There's a few things today that I think are modern, many things that are modern day Artemises. I wanted to cover for a minute. Here's just some examples. How about the idol of love? Or the idol of romance? Or maybe for you, being in a relationship or an infatuation with that person or having to act out your feelings of romance or attraction becomes everything to you. Like that's the air you breathe. 
You're not even sure how, you're so far removed from following the Lord in this area of your life that you don't even know how you got there. It feels so normal to you. So you'll be in a relationship you shouldn't be in because of that idol. I need to have that person. I need to feel loved. I need to have that romance. You're not married, but you're sleeping together and you know you shouldn't, but you do. Why well, I have to have that? There's more to be gained by disobeying God. There's to be gained by obeying him here because I have to have that person. And what if we stop doing that? Is that person still going to be with me? Or you're married, but you desire that person at the gym? So what happens now? Now you link your happiness. Remember, going around God rather than to him for what you're looking for. Love, acceptance, fulfillment, meaning. To a connection with that person that I have to have this or life is not meaningful or worth living in this moment. So you have an emotional affair, you have a sexual affair, and then you push away anyone who doesn't think it's a great idea. Because they're just not happy for you, they just don't understand. They have the perfect marriage, the perfect relationship, it's easy for them to say that, they, they don't know you, they're judging you, that's what we become when we become defensive. We have a mob and a riot in the Ephesus of our hearts. You feel bad about it, but you still do it because you can't lose that person. And what are you doing? You're yelling. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Maybe it's children. Tim Keller says this, who does great work on modern-day idolatry. If my children are happy, if my children are even believers, if my children love me, if my children are successful, that's probably the biggest one today, then I know I'm worth something. I mean, think about it. That's how you look at your kids, then not just as wonderful gifts from God, but as ultimate things. Then you're going to start living your lives through your kids. You hear that a lot. He's just living his life through his kids. And usually two things are going to happen. Basically, the child will follow one of two paths. They're going to stay near like really near to you and be crushed under the weight of your expectations. Or they can get as far away as they possibly can because you've turned that child into an idol and it'll wound you and that kid one day in a way that's going to be really hard to get over outside of the grace of God. So all of a sudden, their activities become more important than their local church involvement. So what do we do? We don't riot. We shift our beliefs to accommodate you don't have to go to church in order to be a Christian. How many times have you heard that? Well, it's actually really recent. Because until leisure increased, money got more expendable, and kids became everything, no Christian would have ever made that claim because it would have been unheard of. You have to go to church to receive forgiveness of sins and salvation? Definitely not. It's by grace we are saved, through faith, not by works, so nobody can boast. Do you need to be part of a local church in order to live the Christian life? Absolutely. So what's happening here is we're creating a generational shift within the church and in the faith and don't even realize it. Grandma and grandpa, church mattered. Church mattered. I'm not saying 52 Sundays a year, I wasn't here last week. I was in Miami. Go Canes, by the way. So, I, I'm, it's not legalistic, but a regular rhythm in our lives. 
for grandma and grandpa. It's just what they did. It was a foundational part of their faith. Now, mom and dad, who are now my age, in my 40s, which according to Nick Bargatze means the only thing that really changes, I go to the bathroom at night a lot, so that's about, that's about it. They're, mm, they kind of started the whole, like, we believe we're Christians, but you don't got to go to church to be a Christian, you know, that, that kind of idea. It hurts grandma and grandpa a lot, but they don't say anything, it won't cause any trouble. Now, if they come on Mother's Day, check that box, Nana's happy, we're good, right? That's kind of how it works. So for mom and dad, it's, eh, you know, maybe sometimes if we can make it, whatever it could be. What's going to happen to the, the, the kids have seen that their whole lives. And what are they seeing instead? Make the list. This is more important. This is more important. This is more important. Yeah, we like to go, but, but, but this is more important. Like functionally, without even meaning it, I don't even think you're meaning it. I'm not, I'm not condemning anybody here. Functionally, it's what we're doing. As they're saying, this is great if everything else isn't happening instead. We've got a generational shift that's happening. I have a friend whose uh, kid's a really good athlete, and they were having their practices. And I'm just giving a real-life example. We talk about real stuff here, okay? And they were kind of organizing for that year. And they were going to, they were all meeting together as parents, and they said, hey, we're going to, how, how does 10 a.m. on Sunday work for everybody? It's not hot yet, you got the rest of your day, and everybody's like, oh, that works, that works, that works. And it's Tallahassee, so everybody's not atheists or agnostics, they're not Jewish, they don't go to church on Saturdays, right, okay, or synagogue on Saturdays. And my buddy raised his hand, and he's like, um, Sunday, 10 o'clock, like, church? You know? Everyone, and what's, what's the line that came out? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, we're Christians too, but, you know, you don't got to go to church to be a Christian, right? The legendary line. And he's like, we could do one or three or five or 7 a.m. or, <laughs> you know, I'm not talking about games, I'm talking about practice to go Allen Iverson. And, that was generational, but almost something I will not get, sorry. <laughs> Thankfully, his kid was one of the best kids on the team. And he was just like, hey, you know, we're cool, we're part of it, we're in, we're all in, but um, we're not going to do Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. Because church matters to our family. Guess what? They practice at three. <laughs> and Artemis fell down. In that moment, in our community, in just a small little way, they made a change and made an impact. And there's a way, I think Artemis actually took a left jab to the chin when that happened. But there's a way Artemis comes down in our own lives, and it's really not with shape up or get better or try harder or feel worse about yourself. It's through more gospel belief. It's really actually believing that Jesus is better, and which also means the things he has given us are better, the things he's designed for us to be a part of. Because our other gods are always going to let us down. And that's the point. They're supposed to. They're not going to bring us what we think because they're not gods. And Jesus never lets us down. We don't have to go around him. I don't have to make sure that my kids are road scholars and that would be amazing. Because my identity is not found in that. Hopefully. Sometimes it is. And I have to redirect. It's in Christ. It's in Christ. It's in Christ. Like, you can know for sure that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, but what's actually going to help you and me cause these things to loosen the grip on our hearts 
is that we really see ourselves as being vulnerable to loving more things or other things more than Jesus. We've got to be self-aware and aware of those things. Like God wants the adulterous reconciled to him, the spiritual cheater. He wants reconciled to him. Jesus came and took the punishment that we deserved. Our unfaithfulness is punished at the same time he makes us his one true bride over and over again. I mean, compare that to our careers, which are wonderful things. They provide for our families, which the Bible calls us to do. But those things can't die for our sins. And they're going to go away one day. What did he do to his bride? Here's what we're told. What did he make the reality? Ephesians 5. He did this to present the church to himself, the bride of Christ, in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, and in case he missed anything, or anything like that, but holy and blameless. That's how God sees you as a Christian. He doesn't see you as the unfaithful. He doesn't see you as the wayward. He doesn't see you as the spiritual adulterer anymore. He sees you as somebody that he has made clean, that he has made new. And that's what idols promise for us and never deliver on. So how do we speak this reality into our own lives? Here's a Paul, the same guy that's talking in Ephesus, said to the Galatians, caring for them. He said, but in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not gods. Like, we're going to worship something, right? We were enslaved by the gods of this world. He says, but now, and there's a new life now, things have changed. Since you know God, the gospels have made known to you, you've responded. You're a believer now, you've been washed, made new. And it's even better, or rather, had become known by God. He's brought you into his family. He calls us, his, we're told in the scriptures, he's our father, that we're his sons and daughters. So since that's true, you hear Paul's heart here. How can you turn back again? to the weak and worthless elements that one day can get thrown into the dumpster. Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? I told you a few weeks ago about the FSU women's basketball team. Some of the coaches are members here. They went to Greece for their trip, which is really neat. They got to play some games over there, a really neat thing for the seniors, get to go overseas. They try to do it every four years, every five years or so. I just want to tell it again because I think it's just important to remember and they toured like the old pagan temples in Athens. And guess what? Nobody's worshiping there anymore. I said, oh, are they museums? No, they're just ruins. They're just ruins. Where are those Artemis statues that Demetrius made? Maybe one's in a museum somewhere. Maybe one got auctioned off. Maybe some crazy collector has one some prize piece from however many years ago. But they're all gone. They're not even in the dumpster. They're like disintegrated. They're gone. But we're told that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The one who does the will of the Lord remains. And what does it mean to do the will of the Lord? It's to believe his gospels, to worship him. So my hope for all of us is we'll just examine ourselves. And we'll just say, hey, what's out of step? Like, what's a rhythm that's got a deeper issue that's going on in our lives right now? 
But there's more to it than this. Like, what's going on in my heart with my kids? What's going on with how I view love? Like, what? I mean, think about this. Go back to the love and romance thing and how it impacts the city. What would happen if everyone who claims to be a Christian in Tallahassee, which is a lot of people, claims is the word, a whole lot of people, the majority of the city, in fact, single, married, both, what if they started acting out marriage and sexuality in a way that God, the God they claim to know and believe in, designed? That sex is not for ready people or mature people or it's for married people. And that God's defined marriage between a man and a woman, clear as can be in the scriptures, as clear as Jesus walking on water and loving your neighbor, clear as can be. What would happen to Artemis in our city? Divorce rate would plummet, plummet. Planned Parenthood would close. A lot of college students would not wake up traumatized. Think about what would happen in this city. Just one example of people who are Christians. Love that I said Planned Parenthood would close and a baby went, yeah, okay, so there you go, but don't miss that, but just, just one simple step. Christians going, well, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to not be enslaved to things that by nature are not gods anymore, which is who I used to be, but God in his grace has made me new and given me a second chance and really a, a billionth chance to, to live for him, and now we're going to do it his way and by his design, and that's going to be a major, major change in our city, a major change. What would it do for the high schools in our city if on Wednesday nights all the city of Tallahassee parents were like, yes, I'm tired. Yes, we have a lot going on. Yes, we're busy. We're going to make it a party to get you to church. What would happen to the high schools in our town if that many Christian teenagers were hearing the gospel with their peers in the context of the local church as God's designed over and over and over? It would change the city. We were... Langford Green in front of the Unconquered statue, our college ministry, two weeks ago on Tuesday night. Had over 500 students there. Imagine what would happen if those 500 students, which they're, they're, which they're trying, reached one person on campus at FSU for Christ. And then, read, then that person went and reached another person. And then that person, I mean, I'm not good at math. Do the math. The campus would change campus would change. And as a result, the, a lot of the, the industries that prey off of sin in the area around it would have to alter and change. I don't want people to lose their livelihoods. I want people to lose their idols. Starting with me. Why? Because I actually really do want to believe every single day that Jesus is better. Because he didn't just love me, he loved me first. And loves me always. And never leaves, never forsakes. If you're here today and you feel like crap because when you think about your life and think about the things that you've done, it just brings guilt and shame and condemnation. Just know that's not how Jesus sees you. There might be things you need to change in your life. Maybe that's why you're feeling that way. That can be a good thing if it leads you to grace. Not staying in guilt.
Guilt is good if it leads us to grace. And that's what Jesus does for us. He brings us to grace and gives it to us over and over and over again. Idols demand they don't give. Go with the one who made the, declared the need of the, really the rule upon our lives, which is unhindered allegiance to God alone, made the demand, and then none of us met the demand. We all failed. So the one who made the demand also met the demand for us. I live in a perfect life that we couldn't live, dying a death that we deserve for our rebellion against God. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died for our sins, rose again three days later, proving he was the Messiah, and one day we'll come back again and make all things new. The thing you're going to make at Home Depot and worship can never offer you that. Let's pray together. Our Father, we're thankful that you are a God who is good to us and kind to us. I'm thankful Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So I ask that you forgive us that we like to return to those things that used to bring us condemnation and act like they're gods. Lord, I ask for your forgiveness that the good things in our life that you've blessed us with, the common grace, I think you give us great things to enjoy like leisure and resources and children. I mean, amazing, it's amazing gifts. But forgive us when they become what they weren't supposed to be. And that's objects of our worship, sources of our status, rather than us turning to you for all the things we're looking for. We're thankful we already have a status secured with you. And that is the status as your spotless bride. Let us believe in that and live in that. So those in this room, starting with myself, as John wrote, Lord, keep us from idols. Keep us from idols. Lead us to the one true God over and over again. We're thankful that you never leave us, you never forsake us, and that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you for being near to us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.